0: The Anesthesia Podcast. Welcome to this Anesthesia Podcast. I'm delighted to have with, uh, with you today uh, Ed Mariano, Lloyd Turbitt, and Kareem al who are the authors of this excellent paper about future directions in regional anesthesia. And this was published in the March issue of the journal. Ed, tell us a little bit about you and, and your background and Wavefront. from.
1: So I'm here in Palo Alto, California. I'm a professor of anesthesiology at Stanford. And I'm Chief of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Care at the Veterans Affairs Palo Alto Medical Center. Um, I'm also, I've been on the board of directors for the American Society of Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine for the past little over four years. And I chair the Committee on Regional Anesthesia and Acute Pain for the American Society of Anesthesiologists. Lloyd,
2: how about you? I am a consultant in Belfast. I... I have an interest in regional anaesthesia. I undertook uh, a regional anaesthesia fellowship in Toronto, and um, I also sit on the RAUK
3: board.
0: Thank you.
3: I am a consultant anaesthetist at uh, Guy's and St. Thomas's in London, um, as I often say, across the river from uh, the circus, uh, sorry, uh, Houses of Parliament. And I am an editor for Anesthesia, editor for Anesthesia Reports, which is now PubMed listed. <laughs> um, uh, and I've done fellowships in regional anesthesia in Toronto, uh, airway uh, in London, perioperative medicine in London. But I do not sit on any boards like, uh, like the other two who are uh, RAUK and uh, Azra boards. I am just your jobbing uh, jock with a block. <laughs>
1: so, um, this That's paper- an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> what an
0: understatement. <laughs> um, this paper has received a lot of positive attention on social media. Obviously, it was published on Early View some time ago, and it's now made through to an issue of the journal. And it has been very popular with our readers. I'm really interested, I'm sure our readers are interested to know how you got the idea to write this paper and how the three of you from three different places collaborated together and how it worked and how you were able to get those ideas to come out nicely in a paper from three different parts around the world.
1: Well,
2: I think I first met these guys at a regional CC conference in London, probably about three years ago, perhaps. And we have also met at a few other meetings and at those meetings, we've had quite a few interesting conversations about where is regional anaesthesia moving and is it moving in the right direction? And is the way it's moving in the interests of our patients? And we all so that there is an explosion in new nerve blocks. And we're not really sure which blocks work best. We're not really sure which blocks produce the highest value. And we're also very conscious that when all these new blocks are created, there's perhaps only a very small percentage advantage of clinicians who are actually performing these procedures. And in some ways, the generalist is perhaps becoming more and more confused and slightly alienated. And this may not actually increase the access of regional anaesthesia to our patients. And so we decided that perhaps we could write a paper to really try and show our views and perhaps a new concept of where regional anesthesia should perhaps move to allow more access to our patients and allow the vast majority of anesthetists across the world to perform and integrate into using perhaps a smaller number Of regional anesthesia techniques and implement these into pathways, therefore increasing patient access and perhaps increasing patient outcomes and overall value of perioperative care.
1: It was interesting because we've had, we do work in two different I mean, multiple different places, and we have uh, a lot more connection today, I think, because we're all on Twitter, and we pay attention to some of these conversations. And the conversations are interesting. It's fascinating to see all the innovations with new blocks, but as Lloyd says, something that has been a common concern, I think, for the three of us is just whether or not these innovations are just producing more blocks for the few, more blocks, more tricks for the experts, and not really changing patient access, which I think is really the key. I think that my own realization, I think, came during a three-year period when one of my projects in the past was uh, leading the National Accreditation of uh, Regional Anesthesia Fellowship Training in the United States. And it took from... 2013 to 16 to secure um, a common set of program requirements for fellowships. But all that really did, or one of the things that that did, was really highlight for me the fact that residency training and regional anesthesia has not changed in decades in the United States. And we still require the same 40 experiences with peripheral nerve blocks than it was when I was a resident. And, and that really needs to change. Many of us, like myself, yeah we we didn't have ultrasound when I was a resident. Um uh, we had very few blocks. It was very possible to master a small set of blocks as a resident, um whereas I would say today, there are too many too many options. It's very difficult to train people. And then for those um, in their career like me, who are roughly about halfway through, there where do you start? If you've never learned regional anesthesia, you know, what should you start with so that way you can start to provide these types of pain control techniques for your patients?
0: So how, how did you devise the high-value key blocks? Because there's a really key table in the paper where a list of anatomical locations are given, and there's a plan A for, for basic blocks, and there's a plan B, C, D for advanced blocks as well. For
3: the For the listener... Lloyd, Ed and myself are all giggling to ourselves (laughs) because this was by far and away the most challenging part of the entire project, which is finding some form of consensus of what a plan a or a basic block will be and it is uh if you don't believe in miracles well it is a miracle that the three of us are still good buddies uh, <laughs> after this but i, I think um, lloyd was really instrumental in kind of coordinating what we put forth as uh, the basic blocks
2: yeah i mean I think it's important that we emphasize that this is not a hard and fast rule. This is a few blocks that we have suggested, and it's really just to create this concept. The other thing is that these blocks are for novices or those who are not really practicing a lot of regional anesthesia. And so we really try to choose a few blocks that, for the generalist, would essentially cover the vast majority of surgical procedures. Now, there are a few that people will have a lot of strong opinions on, and we all have our own opinions as well. The other thing is that whenever we're trying to increase access We have to, as well as looking at the potential outcomes from the block, we also have to look at can the majority of clinicians perform this block? And is it likely that we can train the majority of clinicians to perform this block? We, we had lots of conversations about these yeah. blocks. We are just really trying to create this concept that perhaps a few blocks for the many will allow us to provide more regional anesthesia to a greater number of
1: patients. And I think that the key, like, as Lloyd says, and you know, this is not... It's not carved in stone. So the idea is for learners. And if you're at a teaching institution or if you're in a practice where you can teach your partners, then you should start with regions of the body first. So what, what, type, what type of surgical patient do you normally see? Yeah, have a plan for what you as a group want to learn so that way it's consistent. Because I think that's also very important is that the, the product offered can't vary based on which anaesthetist is assigned which list and the all the different variables that can go into how patients receive their care the other thing that's also important about this list is that you'll see that some people may say well hypothetically i like infraclavicular block better than an axillary block and that's fine the whole concept is these are this is a list of blocks in which you learn transferable skills so if you like for example, infraclavicular, you can learn infraclavicular, you can still translate that to axillary, you can learn axillary, you can translate that infraclavicular. And I think that's really key is that it's it's not that we think that these are today and forever going to be the only blocks you need to know. But if you are able to master the list in plan A, even with a couple substitutions, then that really gives you some important tools that you can offer your patients. I guess the table really is showing the concepts and the philosophy rather than a prescriptive
0: range of blocks that are set in stone, and it's, it's more about the way of thinking about regional anaesthesia that, that you're proposing rather than a list of blocks, which I think is really important. The work you've done here to select these high-value nerve blocks is one thing, but how do we move on from that and generate widespread competence and, and implement these blocks into, into pathways?
2: There were three main stages in trying to prove the future of Britain last Asia. As you say, the, the first was to choose a small number of high-value blocks. Then it was to try and improve widespread competence. Now, in order to achieve this, the main issue that I see is trying to introduce these as a core skill, and the only real way to achieve that is to implement it um, as a core competency in the training curriculum there is obviously a new uh, training curriculum on its way and so perhaps regional will have more weight in it then you have the question what is the optimal way to learn regional anesthesia what is the optimal way to assess competence and what is the optimal way to teach it We then need to say, right, okay, we're now in a situation where we have achieved widespread core competence. How can we overcome the barriers to actually implementing these into some sort of enhanced recovery pathways, which will increase the overall value of care? Ed, do you think that there are more barriers in the way of ensuring this widespread
0: competence and pathway m- implementation in the U.S. as compared with the U.K.? Uh, you talked earlier about the requirement for a number of blocks
1: performed for trainees and residents. I think there is um, the one thing common thread, I think, for training programs in anesthesiology in the U.S. is that we do have the same accrediting body and we have common program requirements. So I think that potentially is an advantage, at least for the next generation of anesthesiologists that comes out. I think that's that's a good starting point for us. But as I mentioned, it hasn't changed. There are a few things that I think I've come to recognize just looking at population-based studies. And and part of the reason why the three of us, I think, have, have tried to put our enthusiasm in terms of regional anesthesia into context is that when you look at the the overall uptake like for us when we look at national studies in the u.s. of total knee replacement, one of the most common operations performed in the United States with over 700,000 cases a year, um, we estimate that maybe one out of five patients gets a nerve block. That's pretty sad. It's a little bit higher for outpatient uh, shoulder surgery, we estimate, but it's still probably around 40% and likely less because it's probably overreported within anesthesia-related databases. If we look at how we train, so as I mentioned, the, the 40 experiences with patients who've gotten a nerve block, the fact that it hasn't evolved, I think is problematic. And I think it's also problematic within our current training system because those 40 nerve block experiences are not specified. So it does not say that you have to have a certain number per region of the body. That would be fine if you didn't get tested on it. But what's very interesting, I found from our trainees who graduated recently, is that our American Board of Anesthesiology has instituted standardized uh, patient exams and it's not uncommon that one of their scenarios is actually to take an ultrasound and identify the femoral nerve and identify the sciatic nerve in the palpitio fossa. And I find that conflicting because you know, the nerve block experiences that they get during residency do not specify which regions of the body you should be able to identify the nerve and perform nerve blockade. We can fix that. And so, you know, one thing that I've been, I just started the conversation a few months ago based on our paper and our conversations here. Based so on whether we could change that, whether, can we update the common requirements for the anesthesiology residencies? And so this I've found is a multi-step process, um, but this is how I got into the fellowship accreditation in the beginning, because I started asking a bunch of questions. Hopefully in the next half year, you know, I'll have some um, a few steps down the road. Ultimately, what will happen is if I can get agreement from our residency review committee for anesthesiology in the United States, then we would propose changes to the common Requirements for anesthesiology residency. These get posted publicly for a certain period of time, and then yeah, any input gets incorporated, and hopefully, we'll have new requirements yeah, by the following year.
0: Queen, do you think there'll be any um, changes to the way regional anesthesia training in the UK is delivered as a result of this paper? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I would
3: like. I would like to think so. I think the way that um, training is delivered in the UK is slightly different to how it's delivered in in North America. So in the UK, the um, requirements for um, uh, regional anesthesia, the minimum competencies are one observed upper limb block, one observed lower limb block, and a thoracic epidural, which is really, uh, you know, it's kind of meaningless it really um i would i would think particularly if you're if you're comparing with north america where there's 40 blocks that are um, required whether it's 40 of the same block or 40 different blocks is still um debatable um but uh but i think we we're going through a process of um of curriculum review and this is a really lengthy process in the uk i think um uh increasingly, the college is starting to see the importance of developing uh, core skills, and that's not going to be numerically based. It's not going to be based around the number of skill intubations or the number of blocks or whatever it is. It's not based around a number. It's, a, it's, it's skill based. And because there's going, it's going to be more skill-based rather than based on pure numbers, actually, I think that's going to be a good thing. And actually, I think that that's going to be a fantastic opportunity for us to ensure that skills in, set number, uh, in a set number of blocks are going to be uh, um, required. Now, of course in the uk most hospitals um have trainees um uh, most care has some form of trainee delivered elements to it now if we're expecting trainees to be competent at at, at regional anesthesia and techniques that you know the, the, the high value blocks then the trainers need to be able to deliver that training so i think that we're uh, we've got a bright future and we're in a really healthy position right now because so much is changing and and we've got a really important role to play to ensure at this point we talked about crossroads for regional anesthesia to ensure that we make we uh, maintain the access to regional anesthesia for everyone so the more complicated we do it the less accessible it will be whereas the simpler uh, we we make it, the more accessible it will be to more clinicians and more patients.
0: Lloyd, how many blocks would you say the general anaesthetist should be competent with? Would you be able to put a number on it, do you think?
2: I mean, I would say the average jobbing anaesthetist, if they were competent in five or six blocks, that will cover the vast majority of of surgical procedures that they that they require to perform some form of regional regional anaesthesia technique. In, You will see that in our in our editorial, we had mentioned actually seven. Or analgesia for the chest wall. And um, we had a lot of debate. We knew that the evidence in terms of outcomes was in favor of the paravertebral block, but we were also acutely conscious of the fact that the vast majority of clinicians are not comfortable performing a paravertebral block. So if we were to suggest it as a block for uh, novices, it would wouldn't really make sense because why would you suggest a block that no one will actually perform? And so then... We, we came to the realisation that um, a plane block such as the erector spinae plane block is something where it will create familiarity using the ultrasound probe. It will create familiarity with the planes and therefore if someone then is comfortable with the erector spinae plane block and as they grow in comfort. They may actually say, well, you know what, I think I'll advance my needle a little bit further. I think I can see the costotransverse ligament. I think I can see pleura. And you know what, I'm just going to place my local anesthetic just under the costotransverse ligament and I'll perform a paravertebral block you know but i think it's you know, it's it's really important to, to have a pragmatic view here and a realistic view and we only have to look around our own um, our own units you know not everyone is a regionalist and and we have to accept that and use a pragmatic approach and say right you know everyone isn't a regionalist and we shouldn't expect everyone to be an expert in regional anesthesia however we could potentially in the future say that a few of these blocks could become a core anesthetic skill like fluid management like endotracheal intubation like TIVA. So, it's really about trying to raise that bar of core anaesthetic skills. I'm just getting
0: the sense a little bit that the most controversial choice was perhaps the chest wall block. Is that correct? I'm <laughs> the advocate. <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess some sometimes when you have something nicely laid out on the table it doesn't doesn't tend to convey a lot of whether or not something was black and white choice or whether or not something was unanimous or whether or not something was actually really controversial. Um, you find that a lot with guidelines that have been formed through a, a, a consensus process.
1: I think for the uh, I think for the lower extremity arthroplasty cases, I think that we had general agreement. I mean the evidence base for um, knee surgery at least is strongly supports, femoral nerve block. What we call the adductor canal block, which is anatomically defined as the distal femoral triangle down to the anatomic uh, adductor canal, I think is more popular amongst those who perform regional anesthesia today, um, mostly in partnership with our orthopedic surgeons to try to minimize motor blockades. So, so that one, I think, was less controversial. There are many, many peripheral nerve block options for hip arthroplasty. There are too many to include on the table. So part of the reason why you know, we thought that it was worthwhile to single out the femoral nerve is primarily because it's, it's again, a great transferable skill. If you can identify uh, the surgery, superficial femoral artery and the saphenous nerve and in the distal femoral triangle you can move up identify the femoral nerve you can also move more proximally and do echo block and all of these I think are potentially very useful especially in the hip fracture patient which i think yeah for us is uh, is probably one of the more common trauma types of cases that we see so i think that was the i think that was the least least controversial batch i would say of the surgical procedures and kareem
0: uh, i get the feeling that you're very pro paravertebral blockade is that right uh, i
3: mean so one of the difficulties with the chest wall blocks uh, that we had was the limited evidence base that's really the biggest the biggest challenge that we faced was was having very little high quality data that can tell us this is definitely better than that. Because if there were that th- th- um, those data, if there were those data that showed that you know uh, uh, paravertebral was clearly superior to ESP block, then that might kind of shift our our decision making somewhat. Um, so based on the fact that there were very little data, but we all kind of felt that ESP block, something like an ESP block. You know, if I if I tell someone to, um, uh, you know, if I told myself as a as a 19 year old student to go and bake a cake, I'd be like, you know what, I'm not even going in the kitchen. But if I told um, myself to go and make some toast, I'd be like, yeah, sounds good. I'll go <laughs> in the kitchen. And I'll make some toast. <laughs> um, so I think I think it's a little bit about we 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 and we know the data would show that cake is better than toast definitely <laughs> absolutely no one's done that study but I'm pretty sure the data would show that so so it was it, that was one of the more difficult ones is to balance the lack of evidence with these recommendations now one of the things that we are very cognizant of is that these were suggestions made by just the three of us and that is insufficient uh, really for uh, for anyone to really change practice change training programs um, uh, against and that, that needs more, um, uh, uh, it needs to be a lot more objective it needs to be a lot more more methodologically sound um, in terms of uh, formulating these these recommendations but I mean personally my suggestion would be have a look if you if you've got a good view and you're happy to do a paravertebral great go for it. If you're not comfortable, then don't go so far and just do an ESP.
0: So there are lots of limitations of the evidence. What sort of papers do you think we should be publishing in the future? And should we focus more on novel blocks that might be waiting to be discovered? Or should we generate more evidence for the blocks currently in practice?
2: I think no more new blocks. No more new blocks. You, got, you haven't seen the, the
3: first draft of the paper. After the paper, that's had the Lloyd writing all over it. Just stop, stop it now, please. Just stop, no more. And we had a new block alert on our WhatsApp group. Every time a new one came out, one of us would send it to each other, and it had it always had fantastic acronym. You know, it always had a great acronym to it. But um, but that, that's that's my view. Lloyd, go for it. But yeah, I mean,
2: <laughs> there is always a place for creating new approaches and that is OK. However, I think we just need to channel or focus more on on things like learning, how you know, how how should we be teaching? What is the optimum way to learn regional anaesthesia? And as I said earlier on, wh- what is... the optimal way to assess competence. The other thing that I think we also need to look at is terms of regional anaesthesia outcomes. We need to look more at patient reported outcome measures. So I think in the past we have potentially overestimated what we expect as a positive outcome from a block. And I think we just need to sometimes ask, is this improving the patient's perioperative experience and even small things like that are enough and you have a lot as i said earlier on there are so many marginal gains that when they're all added up you can potentially increase the overall
1: value of care and one of the things that I think we're really missing to start with, I would think of it more as a almost like a basic science type of a set of studies before we do translation, really to focus on reliable, rapid assessment tools, because I think this is really key. We have some very detailed assessment tools that have been validated like some of our colleagues in Australia have done some of this uh, great work, but it's super labor intensive to video record and then have multiple raters. It's not something that we're able to do rapidly in terms of assessment. I would love to see artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence move in that way where we could have some quantified metrics. The group in Toronto studied hand motion analysis. We've worked on eye tracking, you know, there have also, there's also surgeons have also been uh, working on you know, looking to quantify video recorded data from uh, simulated uh, mentally invasive surgery, I mean, if we could use some of these things to help us know when trainees, when learners have achieved competence, or at least have it achieved uh, a minimum skill level to be uh, proficient in a block, then we could also determine how quickly people can learn the blocks we've chosen. And maybe we substitute uh, one block for another block for a certain region if we have data to support the, the ease of learning and proficiency um, for specific types of, of blocks. And then I think we can get into the translational aspects, which I think have a lot to do with implementation science. And that's a whole another important area for medicine because that's what actually gets your great idea to the bedside when patients can actually receive it. Um, And Lloyd is absolutely right. The outcomes research has to happen. Um, We have to try to understand what we do in terms of regional anesthesia for perioperative pain management is really just one piece. It's just one piece of multimodal analgesia. Um, All of the other aspects of multimodal analgesia that work effectively to decrease opioid dependence, I think also need to be part of the plan. Um, But this is one way that we Um, as an anesthesia community can provide local anesthesia in its most targeted form. Um, And I also think that um, one of the areas we can work on in terms of outcomes moving down the road is trying to match the duration and titratability of regional anesthesia To the pain trajectory of certain surgeries. We need to understand how long does pain last? When is it the worst and when does it get better? How do we match that to patient activity, which is a patient-oriented outcome? Um, and, And I think that that's really... A very key area for us, if we want to show that we're going to make longer-term um, outcome benefits for patients.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely agree with with all all of those things. Of course, we say tongue and cheek, no more new blocks, but of course, if we didn't have new blocks, and we wouldn't have had the ESP block. So we've <laughs> got to keep innovating. We've got to keep innovating in any way that, that, that we can and trying new things. And there's always a role for um, refining, developing um, uh, and generating new ways of doing things. So there's always a role for new blocks and new techniques. But ultimately, what, what we really need to understand is what really matters is making um, regional anesthesia. So research priorities should be making regional anesthesia part of standard care rather than making regional anesthesia part of supra standard care and i think that's really where we need to go and all of these bits in terms of education improving education and training and uh, ensuring that we're choosing the right blocks for the right outcomes and pain trajectories is all part of of making regional anesthesia part of standard practice i think and that's where we need to focus our energies moving forward
0: absolutely fascinating thoughts from all three of you i think the take home for me really is that Regional anesthesia needs to be part of standard care and it not, needs not to be seen as something that's uh, super standard. And I think that's an excellent take home for, uh, for all our listeners as well. So thank you very much. all. Thanks, Kareem. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, thank you, Lloyd. You're welcome. You're welcome. I very much enjoyed it. And thank you, Ed, as well. So Ed, you're joining us at the start of your working day and welcome into LPM. That's uh, right.
1: <laughs> My pleasure. It's been great to join you. Yeah, I'm so glad we were able to arrange a time. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. And we hope all our listeners have
0: enjoyed that uh, as well today. And we'll see you again next month for another Anesthesia Podcast. The Anesthesia Podcast.